Can you see this in the back? Do you know what this is? This is exactly what it looks like. This is two pieces of what might be the saddest, sorriest, fake Christmas tree ever. And obviously it's a part. But don't make fun of it. Because it's my tree. And it is sad and sorry and pathetic. I got it 18 years ago. My wife and I were first married. It was an after Christmas sale at Kmart. I was at the seminary. I was down the street from the seminary. And we bought that six-foot fake sorry tree. I think it was $15. And we put it together every single year. When you first put it together, you take it out of that ratty box, you put it together, and it's, the pieces don't all fit right anymore, and there's gaps, and there's holes, and I think we're missing a branch. But when it's all together, when it's all set up, it is glorious to behold. It's amazing. We put lights on it, obviously. We have a train that goes around it. train is wonderful. The train's also very old. And we have all kinds of ornaments from all over the world. All of our travels, all the places that we've lived, all the special people in our lives who have given us ornaments over the year, we put those on the tray. And now my kids make ornaments. We put those on the tray. And now we have ornaments that have pictures of my kids in them. We put those on the tray, too. And when that tree is all decked out, it is so special. It brings back so many memories, so many special, wonderful, amazing times, so much nostalgia, so much joy. It fills our house with so much joy. That ratty, pathetic, sorry-looking tree brings so much joy. There's nothing like driving up to the house at night when it's dark outside and seeing that tree in the window and that feeling, I want to get inside as fast as I can. I want to be in my house, be with my family around that tree at that special, wonderful, amazing time of the year, Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's okay, say it back. Merry Christmas. I love Christmas. I love Christmas. But Christmas goes fast. Christmas is over before you know it. I love the feeling of Christmas. I love the joy of Christmas. I wish I could leave that tree up the entire year. But here it is, January 7th. If December, if the month leading up to and including Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, and I think it is, There's a song about it, right? It's the most wonderful time of the year. I I won't sing. You're welcome. If that is the most wonderful time of the year, I would say January now is the least wonderful time of the year. I feel pretty strongly about this. And I feel this way for a lot of reasons. I'll highlight three of them for you today. The first reason that I would call this the least wonderful time of the year is, maybe you didn't notice, but it's like minus 10 degrees outside or something. Who loves the cold? No, you don't. Stop it. No, you don't. 
Yeah, go stand outside for five minutes, take a video of yourself. Yeah, I love the cold. It's great. It's frigid. This is awesome. There's cold, and then there's, come on, there's cold, and then there's cold. And, and this is the, the second thing. This, this, this is so cold, you can't be outside for more than like 10 seconds without, you know, being really uncomfortable. It's cold. Reason number one. Reason number two, half of the people I know are sick right now. Have some variation of cold or flu. They're recovering. Hey, you want to hang out today? No, I can't. I'm sick. Uh, you want to come into work today? No, I can't. I'm sick. It's flu season. Of all the things to name a season, let's call it flu season, right? Reason number three, here's the big one. It's not Christmas anymore. It's not Christmas anymore. The music has changed. The mood has changed. The gifts that seemed awesome 13 days ago, now they seem kind of, eh. What am I going to do with this? Where am I going to put this? You hear the voices of my kids, my new present is broken. I know, I get it. And we're taking the decorations down. As my wife says, I need to undecorate. I don't want to undecorate. I love Christmas. So today, let's squeeze in one last Christmas tradition. Epiphany. January 6th, the church observes Epiphany, the 12th day of Christmas. And the day of Epiphany leads us into an entire season of Epiphany. Do you know what the word Epiphany means? In Latin, I think the word Epiphany means not as good as Christmas. Epiphany means revealing. It means realization. If you're not sure still what an epiphany is, I bet you've all had an epiphany. An epiphany is that moment that occurs every so often when we see something or we hear something and we say, Aha! I get it! Now it makes sense! The light bulb goes on and everything clicks for us. That moment of realization, that's what an epiphany is. And in the church, the epiphany marks a very special occasion with wise men. You heard the story in our gospel lesson just a few moments ago. Wise men from the east. They probably came from Persia, modern-day Iran. They were, in the biblical narrative, foreigners. And they went on a long journey, hundreds of miles, looking for the one who was to be born king of the Jews. They didn't have a map. What did they have? They had a star. And they followed that star all the way to a little town called Bethlehem. And when they got to Bethlehem, they found the one they'd been looking for. The one who was born to be king of the Jews. They found Jesus. And when they found him, they started a new tradition. Christmas gifts. What did they give him? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gifts that were fit for a king. And the Bible tells us they bowed down and worshipped him. Awesome, right? Amazing, right? And that was the epiphany. The epiphany is, at that moment, as you see this happening, you realize, aha, I get it, now it makes sense. Jesus, this little baby, this small child, he's so much bigger than just a baby or a small child. 
He is big enough for the whole world. His love is for everyone. These exotic foreigners who show up with these crazy gifts, and you imagine they're talking to Mary and Joseph, and there's a language barrier, there's a culture barrier. What are they going to talk about? Maybe it's a little bit awkward, I don't know. But this Jesus is for all people, all nations. Jesus is for the world, and Jesus is for you and me. Aha. Now it makes sense. These wise men. And of course, the wise men, a really important piece of the Christmas story. Who has a nativity set? Who sets up a nativity set? I do too. It's awesome. I have a nativity set. And the wise men, they play a very prominent role in the nativity set, right? They kind of stand on the edge of it, maybe kneeling, maybe standing. They have gifts. They have camels involved. And if you've ever seen a movie about the Christmas story, if you've ever seen a Christmas pageant like the ones we throw here at the church, you know that the wise men always come just after the shepherds, right? That's how the story goes. Jesus is born in a barn. There's animals. There's, there's cattle. There's, there's sheep. There's donkeys. Maybe a goat. I don't know. Angels get involved later. They sing some heavenly songs. Shepherds come that night after the angels sing. And then as the shepherds are leaving, come the wise men. They probably high-five as they're coming and going. And maybe they share the first Christmas dinner. Shepherd's pie. <laughs> that's how we envision the story in our minds. But of course, that's not quite accurate, is it? The shepherds arrive rather, excuse me, the wise men arrive rather, rather late on the scene, relatively speaking. If you look at what the Bible actually says, they got there much later, many days later, possibly as late as two years after Jesus was born. When they came, Jesus was probably no longer staying in that barn. When they came, they probably went to see Jesus in a residence in the town of Bethlehem instead. When they came, they probably saw Nary a shepherd and when they came, they probably did not see baby Jesus. They saw something closer to toddler Jesus. So just to recap, here's your timeline. Jesus born, animals, angels, shepherds, all that night. And then sometime much later, possibly even a year or two years later, wise men. That's history, folks. So what does this mean? What does this mean? Well, potentially, I guess, it means a lot of things. Here's what I want it to mean. If Christmas in the Bible is like almost two years, maybe we're rushing this whole thing. The 12 days of Christmas, what's that all about? Why don't we make Christmas longer? Why don't we celebrate Christmas longer? Why can't I leave this tree up for, I don't know, till July? I know why I'll turn brown, but I have other options. Why don't we leave these, 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 the Christmas candles? The Christmas candles are going to come down too. Why don't we should leave these up? Aren't these awesome? When you walk in the church and see these candles, oh, this is such, just so dramatic. It's, it's so wonderful. We do weddings here from time to time. Every bride wants these candles. Right? Right? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. We should, what about the, the red flowers? We should water the red flowers. Leave them there. Aren't, aren't they wonderful? 
why, why can't we stretch this? I, who was here Christmas Eve? I, I, I was, uh, surprisingly, I was here too. <laughs> Wasn't it awesome? Don't you wish it could always be like that? Don't you wish we could do that like every week? Why can't it always be like that? Why can't we always have that kind of feeling? Because we don't. Because we can't. And I know it's a simplistic answer, but it's the truth. There is an order to things. There is a progression in life. Jesus needed to be more than just a cute baby. The world has plenty of those. No offense. Jesus needed to be more than a precocious toddler with really awesome gifts. The world has a lot of that too. Jesus needed to be perfect. He needed to grow. And as he grew, as he lived, as he loved, as he served, he was perfect in every sense of that concept. He was perfect beyond our ability to comprehend. Jesus was perfection itself as he lived his life in this world. But even that was not enough. Jesus needed to be more than perfect. And so this cute baby this precocious toddler, the one about whom the angels sang, the one who brought shepherds to his house that night, the one for whom magi came with gifts to worship him. He needed to become a sacrifice. He needed to die. That's the progression of life. That is the order of things. In a nutshell, December becomes January. Christmas becomes something less good. Boys and girls become men and women. Time slips away from us. Joy becomes sadness. Good intentions become missed opportunities. Thinking we can do the right thing becomes sin. And brothers and sisters, friends in Christ, life becomes death. No one is immune from that. Because today we remember that cute baby would become a dead man on a cross. He would become nothing. Less than nothing. He would become sad and pathetic. Forgive the analogy. He would become this. The people who were there that day at the foot of Calvary, they looked up and what did they see? They saw a spectacle. They saw another innocent victim of this world's sin. Just another man. Dead. But look again. Look closer. The one who died rises again. The man on that cross is the king of the world. 
the one born to be the king of the Jews, inaugurates a kingdom that will have no end. He is the conqueror of death itself. He is the light of the world who entered this darkness. And brothers and sisters, friends in Christ, even though he was dead, even though he hung there lifeless, the darkness could not overcome him. His light shines still. And he stretched out his arms that day to love this world. To love every single being who has ever lived, who lives, who will ever live in this world. His love is big enough for that. His love is big enough for you. Brothers and sisters, friends in Christ, Jesus is for you. That's why he was born. That's why he lived. That's why he died. That's why he rose again. He did it all for you. He did it to change the order of things. He did it to change the natural progression. He did it to instill a new order. And so we have a new order. Sadness becomes joy again. Sin becomes forgiveness. Mistake after mistake, feeling as though you can't do anything right, feeling as though it'll never get better. It becomes grace upon grace upon grace. Death becomes resurrection. Times and seasons and moments that seem too short, that feel as though they're slipping away from us, well, that becomes eternity. That's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus is. And that's why Jesus was born. That's what Christmas is all about. You know, I know that's a cliche. It's like every movie is about Christmas. What is Christmas really all about? What is the true meaning of Christmas? Christmas is all about the simple fact that God wanted to be present with us, wanted to be one of us, a human being, bear our sin, be our Savior, live among us, look us in the face, and let us know beyond the shadow of a doubt that he is one of us, he is for us, he is always with us. And the one who did that, the God who did that, who took on flesh and did that, he always was and he always will be. He always will be present with you. That's what Christmas is all about. Leave the tree up, take the tree down. Take the flowers down, put the flowers up. Take the torches down. It doesn't matter. If it's minus 10, if it's 100 degrees, it doesn't matter. God is with you. The miracle of Christmas is yours. Jesus is present. So brothers and sisters, friends in Christ, I say to you, Merry Christmas. I'm going to say it again in July. Don't worry. Merry Christmas. In Jesus' name, for Jesus' sake, amen.